Certainly when we interviewed our graduates at the one-year phase, and I did all the interviews, and I said, could you describe your learning in the last year? The words they used were things like astronomical and amazing and steep and big. So I think to just do something in the first three months would miss a whole aspect of learning that occurs in that first year. How do we best help guide, lead new grads in their transition from university to private practice, also preventing burnout along the way. That's the challenge. So today we spoke to Lucy Chipchase. Now, Lucy's a professor at Flinders University. She has extensive leadership and experience in education. And we also spoke to Kerry Evans, two wonderful women who are an authority on this topic. Kerry is Group Education and Research Officer at Healthier. Now, both of these women were co-authors on the paper supporting new graduate physiotherapists in their first year of private practice with a structured professional development program, a qualitative study. There were plenty of learnings here when burnout really hits, how to balance formal and informal check-ins. Do we do case reviews or pre-structured learning? There was a lot of value in here for both the new grad, the business owner and clinic leaders. Now, please do us a massive favor. And if you're enjoying our podcast, please subscribe. Please leave a review. Get stuck into this episode. My name is Michael Risk, and this is Physio Explained. All right. Welcome, Kerry and Lucy. Now, you've both just published this wonderful paper on a program for graduates to be a little more successful when they transition from university to private practice. And It's a beautiful thing because we see people are burning out and you even mentioned that around nine months that can happen. And it might even help some owners listening on what they could do to help their younger team members. So thank you again, Lucy Chipchase and Kerry Evans to take us through this. Welcome and thank you for joining us. Thanks, Michael. Kerry, I think we're going to start with you and you were going to describe what was actually in this program. How long was it and what did the content look like for recent grads? Yeah, so our recent grad program has been around for many moons, so about 25 or 26 years now in various iterations. But for the last four years, the structure of it has been the structure that we evaluated in the paper. So it's currently a 10-month program. We kick it off in February, first weekend in February with a three-day workshop. We call them intensives. And then we have another one of those in the middle of the year, so in July. But between those two three-day weekends, we have online sessions, and those online sessions are very much around case-based learning. So we split the cohort into groups of 20 to 25 people, and we run like a classroom, if you like, of case-based learning. And each week is slightly different topic. And then at the end of the year, we have a masterclass or a capstone course, just like you would at uni, I guess. The first weekend is very much focused on refining practical skills, so really just helping that confidence transition from uni to private practice. So we like to think there's not too much new things in that weekend. It really is just about meeting their peers and their cohort and getting to know each other and just refreshing some of those skills. But the second weekend is a little bit more around clinical reasoning, more complex cases, which they're ready for by that stage because they've had five, six, seven months by that time of patience. So yeah, 10-month program, two face-to-face weekends and some online learning in between. And the only other thing I'll add is that the second half of the year, they present to their peers and to their facilitators. And so they're given the task of actually presenting something and they often want to present quirky diagnoses or weird and wonderful presentations, but we really ask 
ask them to focus on things like lessons learned or, you know, things that I know now that I wish I knew then. And it can be interesting cases or interesting interventions, but it might be something that they've reflected on their communication, for example. So, yeah, so the second half of the year is is them practicing delivering some PD to their peers. That sounds wonderful. And what stood out to me there, Kerry, was you said case-based learning. I've seen some inductions or programs that are very much, we're going to do back pain for a month and then we might do the ankle for a month. And I actually quite like that. But feedback I'd received is it doesn't stick unless I've got that human in front of me with that condition. Was that a consideration or had you experimented with both options and where did you land on that? Yeah, look, and there's pros and cons of whatever way you decide to go. So I'm certainly not suggesting that our program is the only way to go. But what we've found is that, as you know, finding information is not hard these days. There's so much information available and in so many different formats and in so many different ways that we expect the grades, I guess, to do a little bit of prep prior to the session. So we usually give them a heads up on the type of presentation. So it might be somebody presenting with back pain and we give them some tasks to prepare prior to that session. But so by the time they've come in, they've refreshed their memories about certain conditions or read a couple of papers where we're going to lead the case, if that makes sense. But certainly that whole process of thinking about it and getting them to respond to questions and writing in the chat box and interacting, we found it's a much better way of as you said, making the information stick, but also to just making sure that they're active participants in their learning, not just sitting there being, um, you know, passive passengers, I guess. And that's obviously, and Lucy might want to talk to the pedagogical approach of that style of teaching. But that sounds engaging. Yeah, certainly based on adult learning principles, I guess. Yeah. Take us away, Lucy. You had something to add to that? No, I was just going to say that actually that, yes, the program is very much um, based on adult learning principles with the new grads really expected to be engaged in the process and to connect their learning with others. And I think when you've got a big group like that, they really can connect in. The other thing just about the program that Kerry may have mentioned but may not is that they also got some structured support along the way from a senior clinician in their workplace So in addition to the workshops that they did, so they really did get that sort of local mentoring, which allowed them to discuss cases that were difficult at the point in time that they might have been struggling with, you know, a difficult case. Lucy, did anything come up for you about the length of this program? Again, I've seen all types of induction, some that are really intense for a month, some that are a bit slower burning for three months. I don't know many owners that have something that's in place for nine months. So this to me felt like it's that length of support. And potentially when new grads start, it's it's a lot quite fast, but then you're almost in deep water from month three. Any reflections on that, Lucy? Only to say that a lot of the work on transition to practice programs in the literature already, particularly in nursing and probably in the public health system in allied health, have used those length of programs, so certainly up to 10 months, probably to a year. So I think the transition to practice, it's not something you just suddenly, at three months, you're fine. It is a steep learning curve that first year. And certainly when we interviewed our graduates at the one-year phase, and I did all the interviews, and I said, could you describe your learning in the last year? The words they used were things like, astronomical and amazing and steep and big. So I think to just do something in the first three months would miss 
a whole aspect of learning that occurs in that first year. And we continue to learn all through our career, right? But that first year into transition is an important part of making sure we support these new graduates in a really positive way to hopefully limit things like burnout to keep them in the profession. Yeah. That just reminds me of one of the points in the study was that you mentioned it's a shared responsibility between employers and grads. Could you speak to both sides of that? I might start with you, Lucy, and then we'll we'll throw it to Kerry. I think it's a shared responsibility between three stakeholders, the university, employers and the new grads. So the universities need to do their best to educate graduates for the university, for the private system. It's tricky, though. We will never get it 100% as an academic and someone who works in the university will never get that to be 100% because, as Kerry said to me as we were going through, it's like pregnancy. Until you give birth, you can read everything, you can read everything you want on giving birth, but until you've gone through it, you actually don't know what it's going to be like. And for a new grad, they might have experiences in practice, they might have experiences in different settings, but until they are the sole provider of care for a particular client whose money is they're charging money and they have full responsibility they're never going to understand what that feels like until they get in so we can do our best the graduates need to do their best in terms of being lifelong learners and making sure that they continue to reflect and develop their skills and take responsibility for developing those skills and then employers I think need to help them on that path too I'll pass over to Kerry just to talk a little bit about that from the employer's perspective. Go for it, Kerry. I think Lucy summarised it really well. I think it is definitely a shared responsibility. I think from the very beginning, expectations need to be really clearly set. And so having a really open, transparent conversation at the beginning, but remembering again, like Lucy said, they don't know what they don't know, new grads, you know, and, and employers are only getting to know them too. So it's an ongoing conversation. It's not like you can set that expectation at the beginning and expect that to be cemented for the rest of the journey. And so having those regular touch points, regular catch-ups and clear, open conversations about expectations is really important. And making sure that everyone understands it's bi-directional. So what can you do to help answer that question versus what am I going to do to help you answer that question? So very much, we're very keen on ongoing, transparent, open conversations Mm. and framing or highlighting the fact that things change. A lot of the expectations at the beginning change. So new graduates will come to us and say they want to be a sports physio and do sports coverage. And then come June, July, they're starting to get really tired of doing three afternoons a week at training and two weekends away. So you have to be open to having another conversation about that. So yeah, so ongoing, clear communication, I think is the point. And then setting it up from the beginning and that it's a shared responsibility. Hmm. I only learn about this concept of flipped learning probably about two years ago. And it's it's really coming through in what you're both saying that it was also on the grad to bring the case or bring some prep and using an online chat forum where some questions were asked and everyone gets to put in their responses. It's done a few things. It's taken the pressure off employers to feel like they have to come up with a CPD and all these questions every single week. But it also increases the diversity and breadth of knowledge, which It's just been wonderful since transitioning to that. And it sounds like that's something that you both explored in this. 
It definitely did. And I think the other thing is what it does as well is highlight to their peers that they're tracking along okay. And so the feedback is often, oh, it's an interesting case, but I, I understood it. It made me feel like I was keeping up. There was nothing really in that case that it was it was interesting. You know, there's a couple of papers I might read up about it or podcasts I listen to, but they come away feeling, oh, yeah, I got it. I'm up to speed. And so that's a really nice side uh, benefit as well. Yeah. There were some other findings here, just touching on employers around the need for a bit, the informal support, the check-in, but also maybe even a personal touch point. I might start with you on this one, Lucy. Yeah, so that came up. We interviewed all these new graduates over the whole year, their first year of practice at every sort of three months. And one of the themes that came out from those interviews was how important that informal support was either through their senior who they were working with or their peers or other colleagues in the clinic. So being able to just discuss cases in over coffee and even listening in on someone else's assessment. So a number of them would say, you know, I would just sit behind the cubicle and listen to my the senior physiotherapist doing an assessment and I learned so much about how they would communicate. So that informal support was just as important and went hand in hand with the formal professional development program. And I think it speaks to culture, the culture in an organisation. I'm not involved in the private practice that Kerry runs. I was just the researcher helping try to give an unbiased view to some data. But it does speak to the culture that you have people that you feel that when you're a new grad, you can go up and say, I don't understand this, or I just need a bit of help. And then that culture helps to bring them along. So the informal support, just as important as the formal program. Mm, I love that. Kerry, would you add anything there? No, no, it's just exactly as you both said. And yes, the informal clinical support, but sometimes it is just a touch point check-in. How are you traveling? You know, how was your weekend? Are you doing okay? Do you want to grab a coffee? Is there anything you'd like to discuss? Have you got some holidays planned? Yeah, those kinds of check-ins were certainly perceived to be really, really important as well. There's a real weight to this, again, from an employer perspective. I have the privilege of coaching a lot of owners and employers around Australia and that the time commitment to be able to do a case review a week and maybe a second one or a hands-on session, but also the time commitment to check in on the human and the person behind that, which we encourage to do once a week or once a fortnight, it really speaks to culture as well. And we're encouraging employers and owners that they can't see 60 clients a week when they have grads. They really have to pull back to develop this culture. And it might lead us into our last point with a couple minutes to go, that around nine months is where burnout started to show its head. So Lucy, did you have any comments or things to add to the the burnout equation? My only comment would be from the qualitative interviews, and Kerry's sort of got more of the quant data in the paper that we've just recently released, but my only comment would be that burnout or dissatisfaction with or a sense of unhappiness with where they were working was very much, and we didn't report this in the paper because we've got another one coming, but was very much tied up with informal support. So if someone, and there were only a maybe there was only maybe one or two that if you didn't feel that you had that informal support it was very easy to start getting a little bit disillusioned so it does speak so much to having a culture of support especially for new grads and I think for everyone generally but 
they really need that level of support coming into a job that they've not done and they're suddenly autonomous and are charging money. So I understand the work associated with that, but I guess one final point I'd make is that we have workforce shortages in physiotherapy across the country and after COVID, people are choosing where they want to work now. So to not provide that, you will find that you're going to lose people from your organisation fairly quickly. And if you're trying to build capacity and build a reputation, providing both the formal and more specifically the informal support is going to be really important for your business. That was a beautiful summary, actually, Lucy. I might throw to Kerry to say, is there anywhere where grads or even owners could find more information? Either of you have a place, a blog, the paper, or a personal place where people could follow this up? So the papers are published, one in musculoskeletal science and practice and one in physiotherapy theory and research. And so you definitely should be able to access them then, but reach out to either Lucy or I if you can't. So we can certainly provide our email addresses. The new grad program itself is spelt out fairly well in the first paper. But again, we're totally happy to share what we can. You know, we're, as Lucy said, this is bigger than our clinics and we're super passionate about the profession as a whole. So what we can do to advocate help along this this way. We're super keen to help. Neither of us are very good at social media, but we're trying. So we do have Twitter and LinkedIn, but that's about it. (laughs) Awesome. Thank you, Lucy. One thing, Kerry, you you are presenting the results of both the papers at the up and coming Australian Therapy Association conference in October. Yes, at Focus. That's true. Beautiful. That's wonderful. Thank you for such really beautiful insight. I think there's learnings and value here for grads and employers. So really wonderful sharings. Thank you so much, Kerry and Lucy. Yeah, pleasure. Thanks for having us. Yes, thank you.